So we're uh, rounding the corner and beginning to see the, the finish line as we've been studying through the book of Galatians these last uh, number of weeks together. Paul's, Paul's message is quite clear. It's quite consistent. Uh, it, it is downright redundant in a good way. All throughout the book of Galatians, we see a clear call to not introduce any additional work apart from what Christ has done for us on the cross as our only means of salvation. I was so blessed last week to listen to Pastor Frank tackle uh, what is a very challenging portion of scripture in the book of Galatians chapter four. I looked at that one, I'm like, yeah, I, I don't, I'm gonna let Pastor Frank deal with that one. I'm gonna go on vacation. And so, uh, <laughs> so, but yeah, just really challenged by that. But I just love to see how the theme of the gospel alone, no update needed, is woven all throughout the book of, of Galatians. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It is woven all throughout the book of Galatians. There is no work, there is no effort, there is no return back to a system or structure that can secure our salvation. Christ secured it on the cross for you and for me by shedding his blood and reconciling us back to the Father. That's the good news of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Christ came to restore to us the relationship that we, we are designed to enjoy with our creator. Right? He brought back to us and created a means by which we can be restored to enjoy the life. Being born sinners, being born separated from God, void of the joy and the peace and the purpose that comes with walking with our creator. Because we were born in sin, we were born separated from that. But God, Jesus came so that we might have that relationship restored. Not a religion not a list of rules and regulations, a system or a structure of do's and don'ts. Christ came for us. And he restored that relationship with God who loves us so dearly. I like what Jesus said in John chapter three, in verse eight, uh, verse 34, chapter eight and verse 34. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. That's true, right? I mean, you know, at first they, they don't feel like they're a slave right away, but the one who practices sin, they're just having a good time. They're just enjoying the part-time benefits of sin. Solomon says sin is pleasurable for a season. Don't tell me sin's not fun. Sin is fun for a season, but sin will always take you further than you want to go, and it'll keep you longer than you want to stay. Right, And what ends up happening is that one thing that you thought you had under control, you find yourself a slave to it. And that's what Jesus said. Truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son, the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. And what we see Jesus saying here is that God's heart for you, God's desire for you and for me is not that we live as slaves to sin, but that we live as sons, free. He that the Son sets free is free indeed. 
Jesus came so that we would be set free. Free from the bondage of sin. Free from shame. Free from fear. Free from the the religious attempts and efforts to try and secure something that we can't possibly secure on our own. On our own. But Christ has secured it for us. Total freedom because of what Christ has done for us. That's what the churches in Galatia had experienced when they embraced the gospel of grace. They experienced the freedom and the joy and the reconciliation. And that's what they were falling away from as they began to mingle the law with the gospel of grace. They were moving from a posture of freedom back into slavery. And Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, which is where we pick up in our text today in verse 1. Paul writes, For freedom, Christ has set us free. I love that. Let's just stop and pause there for a moment. For freedom, Christ has set us free. That's God's heart for you, that's God's desire for you, that we would walk in freedom. Stand firm, therefore. In what? In the freedom that you have in Christ. And do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. People who have been set free ought not to return back to the yoke or the bondage or the control of slavery. Look what Paul says. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. All of his coming, all of his miracles, all of his teaching, all of his dying, all of his shedding on the blood, all of his presenting himself before the Father as the atoning sacrifice of our sins, it'll mean nothing if you return back to a system of works. Christ will be of no advantage to you. The flip side, though, is this. For those who put their trust in Christ, to those who cling to the work of Christ, there's only advantage, there's only blessing, there's only benefit that comes with that. He said, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. It's like you say, all right, listen, is that, the, is that the road you wanna go down? All right, so if you wanna follow the law, that's great, just make sure you keep every part of it. James says that one, if, you, if, you, if you violate one part of the law, you're guilty of all of it. Is that the path you want to go down? There's no possible way we can keep it. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Such frightening language that Paul uses here. However, he's drawing a clear line in the sand and saying you can't be saved by both grace and works for they cancel each other out. And the mingling of the two, grace and works, makes each one ineffective. And Christ is then of no advantage to you. Look at verse five. 
For, this, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Again, he's just bringing the point home here. Listen, it's not by works of righteousness. It's not anything you can do. It is faith working through love. And then look what he says here in verse seven. It's almost like he presents his case and then he pauses. He says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? I mean, you embraced this stuff. You applied this stuff. You've experienced the freedom. You were running well. You were doing well. Who told you? Who lied to you? Who hindered you? What, what point did you deviate from the truth? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? I think that's a great question we always need to ask ourselves. When we, when we you know those lies get whispered into your head? That you're no good, or you don't measure up, or God is done with you, or you can never fill in the blank, or you'll never be fill in the blank, whatever it may be. A great moment of pause is to stop and question, who told me that? Where does that come from? Right, that's a lie from the enemy. I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. And I think we need, we need to kind of stop the lies from, from landing in our heads sometimes and stop and say, well, where's that coming from? That's what he's saying here. Who, you're running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? He says, this persuasion, this, this influence, this, this, this system that you're beginning to hold on to, this is not from him who calls you. This is not coming from God. It might look religious, right? Because that's what they were doing. They were employing religious efforts. They were trying to return to the law. And on the outside, it might have looked really nice. But he's saying this is, this is not coming from him who calls you. He says a little leaven, leaven's the whole lump. I know, if I know Kenny's a bread maker, I and mean, I don't know if there's any bread bakers, right? But you all kind of know that if you put a little, little bit of yeast in the bread and it grows, but if you put too much yeast in, it, you got a mess on your hands, right? And, and, and so what he's highlighting here is hey, it just takes a little leaven, it's a little sin. It's a little acceptance of error. It's a little embracing of, of, of an untruth that eventually, if it's not in check, if it's not held up to the truth of God's word and cast aside as a lie, a little leaven will influence. If I had five gallons of water and I dropped one drop of cyanide in it, anybody want to drink it? It's only a drop. Leaven's the whole lump. Hard words, but he says, I have confidence in the Lord that you'll take no other view. And the one who is troubling you, he will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Hard words for the one who sows deception in the hearts of God's people. He will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, I still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? 
In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I would wish, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Let's just kind of take a moment of pause and let that sink in for a moment. Tell me how you really feel, Paul, about these creeps who are creeping into the church and sowing discord. I wish that they would emasculate themselves in the context of all this conversation we've been having of circumcision. No wonder this is such a, this, this, this idea lands perfectly well. Obviously, we can sense the emotion, the sincere emotion that Paul has for these people and in this writing. He's saying, listen, we'll, God will deal with those who are sowing error. He will deal with those lies, but you, don't, don't believe it. Don't turn, don't, don't, don't pull in that direction. And then I love it, it says in verse 13, First he says, well, let's get better context here. First he says, look, he says, uh, um, verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And let's jump on down to verse 13. He says, for you were called to freedom. I love that. That's God's heart for you. You were called to freedom. Brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Paul begins to, he's really kind of bringing it home now, right? He's reaching out for those who are stuck in bondage, for those who can't get out of their own way, for those who are trying to find God through religious efforts, for those who are just downright stuck in life. Paul reminds them that you're called to freedom. God has more for you. Your experience in the past with all that bondage, that's not what God has for you. For you were called to freedom. That's God's plan for you. That's God's design for you. That's what Christ has secured for you. And it only comes by grace working through faith. Paul lays out the end game as freedom. I'm sure Adam and Eve experienced tremendous freedom prior to the fall enjoying the beauty of God's creation, walking with God in the cool of the day, experiencing all that which was untainted from sin. That's God's, and see, that's what's going to be restored, by the way, right? When Christ comes and sets up his kingdom and, and the presence of sin is gone from the earth, that which has held people in bondage will be gone as well and we will walk in that freedom and that joy that we were designed to walk in. Paul's laying that out as the end game. You are called to freedom. Then he puts, he puts healthy boundaries, though, around it, reminding them, though, that their freedom hasn't been given to them so that they can serve their fleshly cravings. It's an important principle for us to understand as we put healthy boundaries around some of the freedoms that we have as Christians. We are not bound by anything. We are not forbidden, obviously, unless things are clearly laid out you know, as, as sin in the scripture, to partake of anything. But he says, don't allow your freedom to serve as a fleshly, uh, to feed your fleshly cravings. This is important for us to embrace. 
as you navigate the things that you will participate in. Whether that be the, the music you listen to or the beverages that you indulge in or the food that you partake of. Don't let your freedoms become an opportunity for the flesh. What Paul's saying here. Oftentimes people ask the question, is it a sin to drink? To which the answer clearly is no. Oftentimes the church has died on that hill and saying it is sin to drink. And they'll go through this whole, listen man, Jesus' first miracle was that he turned water into wine. It's tough to get around. And so is it, is it a sin to drink, have a drink? Of course not. However, when a drink turns into multiple drinks, hello? And it begins to influence the way you feel and the way you act and the way you speak. Then you're venturing into sinful territory and that is forbidden by God. Be not drunk with wine. We're in, excess, we're in his excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's this idea of don't be influenced by these things. Listen, and some people, some people just can't have a drink. Like potato chips, I just can't have one. What's the sense of that, right? Some people just can't have a drink, and if that's, and that's you, I just wouldn't have any then, right? Let's just, that's why you just want to employ some wisdom. Paul's advice to the church at Corinth certainly applies as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 23, he says, listen, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not everything builds me up. And so drinking to medicate oneself, to help you relax, to deal with the pressures of life, that becomes a vice and it opens a door into an area of bondage that many an al many alcoholic would have said, I will never get there, only to find themselves in that place. And so we are free, but we need to be careful to not allow our freedom to give us the permission to feed our flesh. Remember what I said to you in the beginning of the pandemic, we kind of foresaw a lot of freedoms getting taken advantage of as people were getting locked in. And I said, whether it was alcohol or, or drinking, uh, drinking or, or, um, or eating or whatever vice people turn to, I had said, whatever you comfort yourself with will eventually control you. The drug addiction and alcoholism and, and um, domestic violence is at an all-time high following this pandemic. Remember what you comfort yourself with will eventually control you. But God's plan for you is freedom. You and I were called to freedom. And the freedom that God invites us to is what puts in motion the joy and the peace and the fulfillment and the purpose that he has secured for us to walk in in our lives. You're free to live the way that God has designed for you to live. You see, apart from the cross, you were never able to do that. But because of Jesus, 
because of what Christ has done for us, you are free to live the way God has designed for you to live. You are no longer bound to live like you did prior to coming to Christ. The sinful ways of the past have lost their right, have lost their hold on you. At the cross of Jesus Christ, when that blood was shed, the power of sin was broken. When he died on the cross, the penalty of sin was broken in our life. The power of sin was broken in our life. And thank God, eventually, in God's timing, the presence of sin will be gone from our lives as he calls us home. But at the cross, the power of sin has been broken over your life. Nothing can make you go back to bondage. You are now free to walk in accordance with your new nature, which is how God designed for you to walk. That's where all of the joy and the peace and the blessing and purpose comes from. Look at verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. I love this. Here's, he, he, he's, here's how the law, he says, is to be lived out in the life of the Christian. You ready? Here's what it looks like. Love one another. Isn't that great? For the one who wants to look religious, for the one who wants to earn their way, for the one who wants to do, here's what I want you to do. Just love one another. Isn't that what Jesus said, what the disciples asked Jesus in Matthew chapter 22? Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said, well, you know, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Wow. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Let's get real honest. Do you love anybody like you love yourself? I want to go on record and to my shame and say, I don't love anybody like I love myself. I want to, but I just get in the way sometimes. Putting others before yourself is an act of worship to God. And it's what God requires. So many of the problems, so many of the arguments, so many broken relationships, so many hearts that have been severed and torn apart, all of that can have been avoided we just love one another. Imagine a world that lived this out. Imagine a world that put others ahead of themselves. I don't have enough faith to believe the world is capable of that, but imagine a church that did that. Imagine a church that's full of the Spirit of God, able to actually love others more, or at least as much as. Heck, I'd be happy with just in the same ballpark as yourself. The world will be changed. They'll know you're my disciples, Jesus said, when they see your love for one another. Look what he says here. He says, if you bite and devour one another, 
watch out that you're not consumed by one another. That's kind of weird. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. This is a caution. Hey, do you, you ever have somebody for lunch? I'm not talking like, you know, Silence of the Lambs kind of stuff. I'm just talking like, you know, like they're not there and you're ripping them apart and you're tearing them down and you've got them all figured out and you've got them judged and mischaracterized and you've created this whole narrative about this person. What do you do? You are biting and devouring that person. And he says, be careful. Don't bite and devour one another lest you be consumed by one another. You see what happens is if you are feasting on your brethren, that is going to enter into your system and a root of bitterness is going to get planted there and it is going to devour you. The most disconnected Christians that I know got there because they had everybody else figured out. They had no grace for anybody else. And they bit and devoured them and they were consumed by their own sinful bitterness. As we return to our text though, look at this, Paul is now going to contrast two paths that people walk on here. Walking in the flesh which leads to bondage and walking in the spirit, which results in freedom. Look what it says in verse 16. He says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Let's just stop there for a moment. Walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, this is, to the one who says, I just can't stop doing this. I can't stop drinking this. I can't stop watching this. I can't stop eating this. I can't stop engaging in this. To this one who just says, I can't stop. Paul says, if you would walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify, you will not give into, you will not surrender to, you will not return to, you will not fall back into, or any other word you want to find in the thesaurus, you will not end back there again. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not satisfy, gratify, or yield to the things, the desires of the flesh. Yes, you can quit. You can. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. God calls us to walk in freedom, not into the bondage of anything. You can quit. You can stop. The power of sin has been broken over your life. That doesn't mean it gets easy. Like That doesn't mean like there's no work or effort on your end. Hebrews says, some of you haven't resisted unto bloodshed in your dealing against sin, right? So sometimes people say, well, when God takes the temptation away, then I'll stop. When she just doesn't appeal to me anymore, then I'll know it's time to stop, right? When I don't crave that cigarette, when I don't crave that vape, when I don't crave that drink, when I don't crave that buffet, whatever your thing is, the desire is not going to go away. The want to isn't going to go away. 
but the power that doesn't allow you to say no has been broken. And you can, as you walk in the spirit, you'll not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Paul then goes on to paint a picture of a, of a war, right? A battle, two forces that are opposed one to the other. Look at verse 17. He says, look, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Notice that's capital S, so it's referring to the Holy Spirit. So the desires of the flesh are against the Holy Spirit. Can we just stop there for a moment? I don't want to engage in anything that is against the Holy Spirit. The desires of the flesh, they're against the Holy Spirit. And look, and the desires of the Spirit, they're against the flesh. We see these contrasts, this, this war. Look, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Wow. There's a war that's going on there. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. What are you gonna feed? What are you gonna walk in? He says, look, he says, look at verse, um, uh, look at verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. You're not under the control and the power of that thing. Paul makes a clear distinction between the spirit and the sinful nature. They are mutually exclusive of one another. If you have embraced Christ as your savior, if you have put your trust in Christ alone as your savior, you no longer have a sinful nature. You no longer have a sinful nature. Now the problem is, we are still in a sinful world. We have learned way, the ways of sin in the past, but my nature, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. My nature is not to want to sin anymore. That's why, and here's proof, that's why every time you do sin, you don't feel right on the inside. Why? Because you're going against your nature. And so now the process of sanctification, the Holy Spirit is helping us, conforming us into the image of Christ so that those learned behaviors from the past would get unlearned and be renewed by God's word as we walk in the spirit. They are mutually exclusive, the spirit and the sinful nature, mutually exclusive of one another. And to the one that is preoccupied with pleasing the old dead nature, it is done at the expense of pleasing God. Every time, which is what Paul's saying here, in hard words here, every time we actively give in to the desires and cravings of the flesh, we're doing it to the insult of the Holy Spirit. That's hard to hear. But that's what the word says. Now I thank God that God doesn't condemn me and judge me based on my ability and my and and, and you know the, he's not keeping a scorecard. 
I just bask in the fact that I am his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. I'm thankful for the fact that he who began a good work in me, he will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ because if I have to just fully rely on my own will and my own ability, I'm sunk. But as I just surrender and I yield to the spirit, he gives me the grace to say no to those things. It's about who's leading you. He's saying you're going to be led by the desires of the flesh or we'll be led by the spirit of the living God. The desires of the flesh, they bring bondage. Who wants that? Being led by the spirit brings freedom. Paul provides an extensive list of behaviors and practices that are, that are consistent with the works of the flesh. We're not gonna spend a lot of time on there. I think they're very obvious, right? These are the evidences of a life that is not being led by the Spirit of God. It's a life that is in bondage and whose final destination results in eternal separation from God. Look what he says in Galatians chapter five, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Here they are, you ready? It's gonna sound like I'm reading a recent Newsday article or a social media post. Look, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, we don't need to unpack what that is, right? Impurity, sensuality, idolatry. What is idolatry? Idolatry is anything that we put in the place of God in our life is an idol. Anything that we value and put as a higher priority to God in our life is an idol. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and anything like these things. Okay, that's really a pretty broad list. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, does this mean that like if we, you know, if we, if we, you know, if we fell in an area, that's it, we're stuck? No, it's not about our, it's, it's, a, it's about our direction, right? It's, a, it's about, this, this is the life that has fully engaged and embraced this. You see, there was a time, there was a time where there was agreement that these things that we just listed were vile and wrong. There was a time in our country where we'd see those things and there'd be open, Agreement that these things were wrong. However, today there's an attempt to make normal these things and acceptable. And dear God, celebrate these things. Well, it's just an expression of oneself. It's an expression of a fallen creation in need of a creator, right, in the saving power of the gospel. When a culture is driven, driven by the works of the flesh, this is the fruit of their lives. And prior to coming to Christ, perhaps this was present in our life as well, but God stepped in. God set me free. God pulled me out of that. And all of the guilt and the shame and the bondage and everything that came with those things have been pulled out of my life and I've been given freedom in Christ. And what Paul is saying to them and to us is, why would you ever go back to that? Churches of Galatia, when God has a much better plan for your life. For freedom, I was made free. And I no longer walk like I once walked, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. But I've been made free to walk in the freedom that God has designed for me to enjoy. 
a freedom to walk by the Spirit. And next week, we're going to look at that very subject. What does it mean? What does it look like to walk in the Spirit? How do I walk in the Spirit? What's the result of walking in the Spirit? Well, tune in next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. We're gonna continue looking at this idea of walking in the spirit and walking in the freedom and joy that Christ, for freedom, you were set free. Lord, thank you for the freedom we have in Christ. Lord, while we recognize we still have areas in our life that needs to come into subjection and, 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 and um, in obedience, we, we ask God that you just give us the grace that we need to say no to those things. Give us sensitive hearts. Help us, Lord, never to justify or condone or make excuse for things that are contrary for your plan for our lives. Lord, help us to walk and see the blessing of purpose that you have for us, the joy and freedom that comes in Christ. For freedom, we've been set free. And he that the Son sets free is free indeed. We give you thanks for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.